I'm Gregor, I'm host of the Story Shop podcast. Today we speak to Robbie Lambie, who's the founder of Cairngorm Coffee. Cairngorm Coffee is one of my favourite coffee shops. It's in Edinburgh, there's actually two of them, and now they've got their own roastery as well. Whenever I was through in Edinburgh, I would always sit there and think, how do they make coffee this great? And today I find out... Right, well, I think we can just start, Robbie, by you telling me the Cairngorm story. For sure. Do you want the uh, the brief one? Or the I want kind of somewhere version. in between. So somewhere in between the really long-winded one and the brief one. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm notoriously waffly, so I'll go for the brief one and it'll probably become okay. the middle, middling kind of. Um, so yeah, the brief one is that um, I was a struggling musician or studied music at university um, in the West Coast in Air, um, and had kind of dreams of being a famous musician, which didn't ever transpire or was slipping from my grasp as I kind of navigated from being early 20s into middling 20s and started to think, ah, I'm not actually going to be Biffy Clyro or I'm not actually going to be you know, Bon Jovi. Or, um, so... Um, I don't actually like Bon Jovi much, I don't know why I said that. Um, so uh, I thought, um, yeah, what's plan B? So in the interim, I'd been out in the Alps working with a band um, that I knew well, doing kind of apres-ski gigs, and I helped them set up, and then I would just kind of watch them perform. Um, and it was great fun, but obviously not a career move for me. Um, and in the interim, when I came back, I started working in my dad's cafe, um, which is kind of interesting being that uh, coffee is a very trendy thing now and I was a second gen well, I am a second generation coffee shop owner which is quite cool so that's Raulia Cafe yes in up in um, yeah just outside Newton Moore on the A9 um, so I ended up working there in the summer and um, obviously it was a bit of a stopgap, and I was starting to think about what I wanted to do um, and while I was there I was helping friends with some design on their own businesses and um and generally just had a real appetite for creativity and wanting to build something. Um, and so as I was working there, I also fell down a bit of a rabbit hole on uh, on specialty coffee and realised that at that time, so this was seven years ago, and, and the third wave was uh, had developed, but people were still learning a lot about coffee in, in the coffee industry. Um, and I got down a, a kind of a, a rabbit hole of, um, how there were these baristas in America or Australia or in the UK that were getting really obsessive over coffee and uh, how they were doing it, how they were making it, how they were making coffees more efficient and making cafe, uh, coffee better in coffees and all these kind of bits and pieces. And it got me really excited. And it was the first time I'd actually ever been excited about coffee because to me, I think when you've got a dad who owns a business like that, coffee is not really that inspiring. It's, I don't know why. <laughs> I suppose it's the same as if my... Dad had owned an orange juice factory. I probably wouldn't have been that interested in orange juice. It's just, um, it's kind of just the mundane at that point. So, massive digression there. Um, I uh, started hatching the plan for setting up my own cafe um, and chatted to him about that and how that might look. Um, and he has always been really supportive about, you know, building something. He was a marketeer and he, you know, the, the concept of building brands is something he found exciting um and so yeah he uh, and my mum were very um proactive and spurring me on probably to get me out of working in the cafe <laughs> and into doing my own thing um so at the same time i had been out on a night out in edinburgh and met my future wife and so i was thinking oh well i'd love to move to edinburgh and find a reason to do that so i went down visited a, a shop in edinburgh took the lease and uh, yeah, just threw myself in headfirst and uh, tried to make it work. And this is how we ended up here, I guess. <laughs> so, what was the big, the biggest kind of challenge when you were first starting out? Oh, um, learning how to keep people happy. I mean, learning how to keep staff um, morale up. Learning how to um, keep customers coming back is. It's a tough one. I think now I've got the confidence to know that you can't make everyone happy. But back then I was really motivated on, you know, that we had to, you know, never upset someone. Or, and I think when you get into that hole, it's pretty challenging because you're just trying to please everyone and you don't really know what your, 
you know, um, what you want to do, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think being a young guy, I was 23 or 24, I think, when we started, um, to be thrown into a position where I had to manage staff and, and try and keep them and customers happy, I found it quite challenging. So what were you? What was a kind of typical day like back then? Um, a typical day. So I was uh, working in the shop. Um, I think we had. Th- I was one of three staff. I think when we started. So yeah, I was basically in the shop the whole time. Um, didn't have a lot of other responsibilities at that point. So I wasn't married. Didn't have a kid. Um, and so I was quite happy to do that. And um, <laughs> things are different now. But I think when you're starting off, you just throw yourself in head first, don't you? So um, yeah, I was basically doing everything. Um, Aside from my dad was helping with payroll and moral support, but, uh, <laughs> the rest I was trying to learn. And I think I was very um, apprehensive about that. And I kind of thought, I just don't know how to run a business. Like, I, I'm not a businessman. I'm someone that has a, an interest in coffee and wants to start a business. So I was saying to my dad, like, let's put the brakes on. Maybe I should go and, you know, go to business school or do a... I don't know, a, a BA in business studies or what a BM, I don't know, yeah. Um, and he basically said, no, like, just, you'll learn on the job and it's better just to crack on. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think, like, that's been a real um, lesson for me and that sometimes, you, you know, I, what was this? I was trying to tell my wife this Chinese proverb and she was like, that's not a Chinese proverb, that's just a thing <laughs> that everyone knows. It was like, um, it's... Uh, um, I can't. I can't even remember. This is a, this is the inside of my mind. You're saying, right <laughs> um, but basically, um, it's just you've got, got to do it. It's like there's no point in um, talking about doing something. You just got to, mm-hmm. and yeah. So it was all the whole thing was a learning on the job experience for me. I think that's the same for you know, Scarlett, my wife and co-founder. She did a marketing degree, and then she said she learned more in the six months of when she first went into a marketing job than she did in the four years that she ever do agree so funny yeah and you know from learning a business you do just like it's amazing when you start a business and then you realize how much you don't know and you just start to learn all these different things for sure so i think something that i'm always interested in is i've found that you know even starting with a co-founder it's been so difficult to try and do absolutely everything and to cover every single area so i always think back to especially people start when they're quite young and haven't been inside lots of other businesses and things like that how they then, how you then started on your own and just went for it. What was the what were the challenges around that? Yeah, a lot. I mean, the, the time is the biggest one. I think, um, I think having a co-owner, in my experience now is that you've kind of got a bit more confidence as well. You know, being able to to throw an idea at someone and that for them to say you're not mental is just gives you that element of like courage to do things. Whilst back then, there was always that element of, like, I'm really putting myself out there. If this doesn't work, it kind of always comes back to me. or you know. So I, I became kind of really protective over my ideas and, like, really, um, I guess, careful about how I did things. Um, but, yeah, it, it's mass, being a, a sole owner of any business, I feel, is really lonely, especially, like, a small business. It might seem easier but you've got less people around you. And I always kind of thought the the disadvantage I had as a person in my mid-twenties being in a, the capital city of Scotland and being around friends who were going out with colleagues and stuff is that I couldn't really, on a Friday, go out with colleagues and have pints. Mm-hmm. Um, seems very trivial, but that's like a really key um, like way to keep morale up is like, you know, you have a rubbish day at work and then you go off to the pub and you, you know, lament about how <laughs> how tough a day it was um as a i would just go out with friends who didn't really know anything that i was up to and um and then go home to my wife it wasn't my wife then but <laughs> somehow became my wife as a result of me going back and complaining about how uh, how hard i found stuff but yeah i think um obviously we might go on to the fact i now have a co-owner which is a completely different um landscape for me it just mm. feels completely different so do you want to tell us about that yeah for sure so um yeah it was probably all of those aspects i've been discussing there kind of were getting to a point over probably the third or fourth the fifth year where i was like just reaching burnout kind of feel it coming um and 
COVID compounded that, I think, where everything just kind of felt um, accentuated. And um, I'd known for a long time that the business could be better than it was. And I think that was the thing which really uh, I struggled with. Is I didn't like the idea that I was maybe letting the, the business down a little bit. Um, I did and still do see the business as something that can become bigger than it is and was. And um, and I was getting to the point where I realised I needed someone else to, to help me with that journey. Um, so uh, I'm a really big fan of working with people that you've got some kind of history or relationship with. Um, it's one of the reasons I like working with Story Shop is because you obviously have um, f- friendships with my cousins on both sides of my family, which is great. Um, uh, shout out to Story Shop. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I was keen that if I got anyone in, I would want to do that with someone that I knew and felt kind of confident um, that I wouldn't bore of or have problems with. Um, and I was very fortunate that it came, This these thoughts were brewing at a time when I started seeing more of a friend who I hadn't seen in probably five or more years, um, maybe even 10 years. So um, Harris, who is now a co-owner of Cairngorm, had been out in uh, Hong Kong working in finance. Um, and he had recently come back to Edinburgh um, and started his own ethical fashion business with his uh, girlfriend. Um, and uh, we started having all the conversations I was having with my friends and nights out or my my uh, wife um, about how hard I found things and how bits and pieces I think it could could be more successful than it is because of this and that and time and um, uh, and he soaked all that up and had the same issues or had the same um, you know concerns about uh, managing staff and you know um, Proving turnover and all these kind of bits and pieces, and we formed a kind of bond over that um, again, and the friendship kind of reignited from when we'd played like FIFA ninety nine when we were young um, in uh, in Elgin. So um, that was really that was a, a quite a pivotal moment. Um, and I was on holiday in Aaron where we go every year, and he was at the same time, um, and we kind of talked about you know it seemed like a bit of a pipe dream, but. Know, could there be an opportunity for him to get involved in Cairngorm? And then we were swimming in the sea. <laughs> I basically had tried to catch up with him because I was like, I really want to get him when we're outside of business. Um, so whatever happened, I p- went down to see his friends at the beach, gave them some brew dog and um, borrowed Harris, and we went for a swim in the sea. It sounds really weird. <laughs> went for a swim in the sea. Um, and while we're there, I was just saying, like, I really think that we need to do this together. Um and so we agreed to chat when we got back, and it's kind of transpired from there. Um, so it's been a really good story from us hanging out when we were young to hanging out when we're old, basically. So who does who does what? What's his role been since he came in? Um, so he has a completely different mind to mine. We probably meet somewhere in the middle, um, but he's got a very uh, strategy, finance-orientated brain, whilst I'm a bit more creative and um, probably a bit more erratic. Um, and then, uh, so he's been taking on like a lot of the forecasting for how the business is going to look and like how are we going to get there um, for year one, for year three, year five, and this stuff that I've never done. It's it's one of those things I just didn't ever feel I had time for. I think you can always make time for stuff, but I just it's it's not something I really understand or mm-hmm. or and it goes back to not having the experience, I guess. Um, so he's taken on a lot of that of trying to think, oh, okay, this is this is our target for this year. There's a big gap here. How are we going to make that money? <laughs> and that's been kind of funny for me to be like, ah, yeah, other than just coasting along and hoping that organically we might reach that target, um, he started kind of paving some actual direction, which has been great. Um, and on the other side, I do a lot more currently of the operations, so um, I'll be managing the shops and making sure all that stuff's taken over, um, and then in the roastery a lot, and... Um, trying to do what I see as fun. He probably sees the finance as fun. <laughs> I see like the marketing side of things and trying to um, just like bring more trade into the roasting and, and all those elements. So um, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun kind of partnership, and it's made me very aware that there was a gap in in the business's skill set mm-hmm. for that kind of strategy. So what what are the ambitions now that he's come in and has set these uh, targets for going forward? Um, so, I mean, we w- we want to be um, 
this is so ballsy. <laughs> like we want to be the biggest coffee roaster in Scotland. That's like our our end goal, and that's not something that I'm expecting to happen next month. But you know, that's that's kind of a, a, a thing we work towards, um, and everything we're thinking about is like how can we get bigger and how can we do better and all these things. Um, and as part of that, um, we we don't know whether that means opening more shops or whether that means just um, selling more coffee or whether. Um, to retail or to wholesale there's bits and pieces that are being fleshed out right now um, but we want to be yeah a, a big approachable roaster that um, people think is cool and they want to engage with and um, they feel kind of proud that it's a Scottish thing um, yeah it's not an easy challenge <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I think you've got to have really brash goals because I think yeah it's got to work towards something haven't you so is there been any difficulties with having a co-founder and obviously before you had all the control over every single decision and you were the top dog but is since he came in has there been any challenge well i didn't want to say this <laughs> <laughs> um no honestly um i genuinely thought there would be um <laughs> i just think i i'm my nature is quite controlling um that I've got OCD over, like, how things should look or, you know, how things... You've probably experienced some of that with, like, the branding elements. Like, I'm, I've, I, I like things to be to my vision. But I've found that, actually, um, we've got a very shared vision, so that's been great. Um, and, actually, speaking to him has made me very aware that um, his skill set is... Um, complement mine and so I think there's a lot of trust there then that okay cool well you got on with that and I'll go on with this and I think we don't tread on each other's toes and I think it's been been brilliant mm -hmm. um, I honestly I struggle to imagine how uh, I would work with a um, with a co-owner I think my dad is always like just got to um, like I can't, I can't remember what I'm so bad at it um, but I think you know you get a lot of it I've mentioned this before um, on this podcast, um, but you know, you get a lot of advice sometimes about how you don't want to start something with friends, or you don't want yeah. to. You know, we certainly got a lot about starting with yeah. a business with your wife. But you know, you mentioned the word their vision. Like, if you have the same vision mm -hmm. and you both trust the the fact that you complement each other, that you've got, you know, you're really good at one thing, but you know, you're honest about your weaknesses as well. Because I think I probably fall into a very similar side of things to you where I like doing a lot more of the kind of airy-fairy creative mm -hmm. things and you work just as hard as that, but it's in terms of the targets and the operations of things, it's not how your mind works. So to have someone who can come in, share that same vision and trust each of you to go on, it's yeah, definitely. It, it makes you so much stronger. Yeah. Definitely. I think like definitely micromanaging another co-owner would just be an absolute disaster. Oh. So... Um, you need to, you know, both just have your own direction within a kind of shared vision. Mm -hmm. And um, so far that's been, I mean, we've not been doing it that long. This is only a kind of thing that's developed towards the end of 2021, but um, it's been something that's brewing for a lot longer than that, um, mm -hmm. as I said before. So It's kind of like with your, your employees as well, and it's a big ego thing as well to just admit that you're not the best at a lot of things. Yeah, and definitely. And to be able to say, I trust that person to do this, I trust that person to do that, and if you... Yeah. micromanage everything then yeah it's but it's quite hard so maybe hard to do it first but then you soon realize once you get people that you trust yeah like you and harris and you trust that they're just going to do the best for the business yeah. at all times then it becomes so so it's like interesting because um i i wasn't actively looking for a co-owner i just knew in the back of my head and i'd start to be formulating this concept that i probably needed one and he kind of came al along fortunately and uh, it's like the best fit the best possible fit mm -hmm. is the, the stars did kind of align I was like super lucky we talked I talked to him on the podcast that I did and I interviewed him for his other business dream um, and I was talking about l being lucky in business and he was like he just doesn't believe in luck at all um, in business shop which I found really interesting and I was like oh it's a good good point like you do make your own luck you, you know um, and yeah, yeah, but I generally think that there was a bit of luck in this, that, you know, just such a good partnership and such a good um, time for someone to be coming in. Um, I think probably the one 
um, really important thing about bringing in a co-owner is like respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm very lucky that she respects like my decisions on you know how things should look and the, the coffee side of things. And I've got utmost respect for that he understands all the finance, all the figures, and all that stuff, um, and how to strategize everything really. So. I think it's probably the same with you with like Scarlett. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, if you've got respect, then it's very easy to have a co-owner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, I couldn't imagine doing it with someone that I thought that I had to be looking over my shoulder to make sure they were doing this and doing that. And so. Yeah, if they're not acting, if they, I think that's the thing, and we've had that since hiring Ailey, who was a good friend and things, where we completely trust what she's going to do at all times, and we know that the trust is there from the very beginning, and to have that and to have someone who's working always in the best interests of the business just makes you so much stronger. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so the other thing that you've done as well as having um, a, a co-founder and changing that side of the business is having a child as well. It's mm-hmm. another parallel there. Yep. Um, how, how have you, f- I mean, I've found that we've talked about this quite uh, quite a lot, but how have you found the challenge? How's your kind of... What you're able to do as a business owner changed since having a having a baby? Um, yeah, it's been like it's been a dramatic change. Obviously, um, it's yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, in the in the early days, it's the, the lack of motivation that comes with being tired is is, is very very challenging. Um, but I mean, there's there's a massive positive for me, which is the structure of my day has become so much more improved. I'm not gonna go go on and bore you with like, how much I love my child and stuff. Like that's a prerequisite. We know that, yeah. but you know, uh, in terms of thinking very methodically about in business, how it's affected me, it's given me structure because it means that I'm not out at the cafe working till eleven o'clock at night, which I used to do. Um, and you know, then I'd maybe get up late and then you know, it's I'm, I'm up super early because he's up super early, and then I'm trying to get home for uh, latest six p.m. I've actually got a curfew with my wife, which I'm going to miss tonight. <laughs> I should check my phone. It's just, um, uh, she said, let's face it, you're going to be late either way. So she <laughs> wants me to get some food for her. Um, good, good balance there. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. Um, and it means also, you know, the staff understand that you need, you need time off when you've got a child in terms of, you know, there needs to be boundaries. So for me, the weekend is, really important because that's the time I get to spend with Jamie um, and I'd like, I'd like to say I feel refreshed when I get back the following week but it's quite hard looking after a kid all weekend but um, yeah this it's it's different for me there wasn't really any kind of structure in my week before it was just kind of like I made sure I got stuff done and that sometimes meant I was working till one in the morning on emails and other times you know it was a bit all over the place so um, I think it's definitely given me that um, a structure that was definitely needed. And I think that's the thing. There can, there's always something that can be done. You know, you could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And especially when you first start a business, there's so much you can do, so many different uh, kind of lanes to go down. How did you find that during your, when it was during your 20s? And obviously there's probably quite a lot of people who are still in the mode of maybe not, finding themselves in their career and not quite giving themselves fully to a job how did you find the fact that because I think that you you mentioned the loneliness as well about being an owner Mm -hmm. and when you it must have been quite not many people who are 23 own a business yeah sure so how how did you find that yeah I I find it interesting because there's so many people that don't find their career till they're like 45 or 50 and that's where I, I felt really fortunate because after a year I pretty much knew this was going to be my career um, I just had like so much drive at that point um, and so yeah I don't I, I you'd always lament that oh you're missing out because you're not <laughs> doing this and that and like you know I was saying about the pints and not being able to go and have pints of colleagues but I think I was so laser focused on building something and I think that's probably come off the back of you know, wanting to be a musician. Mm-hmm. And it was like wanting to be in a band, especially. Um, I always wanted to do that because I wanted to build something. It was like I wanted to be a part of something that people could engage with. It's really weird, but you know, like I wrote all the, the music uh, with help, but it was a kind of, it quite often started with me on my guitar writing the songs. And I really loved that process because it was like taking something to like a tangible element 
and then sharing it with, with the world and then trying to off the back of that you know get a record label get gigs get and it was like the the, the kind of potential of something you'd done getting you to a kind of career progression was really exciting for me so I kind of feel like I've tried to I accidentally borrowed a lot of the mentality where I'm like you know I want this to be big I want to be you know this to be a famous roastery instead of a famous band or whatever it's a bit like egotistical in a way like I don't know just I've always had that drive to to make it into something mm-hmm. I don't know why and when did you feel it was starting to work I don't I, I think it goes through peaks and troughs I'm like there was a time when we opened the second shop where it felt like, oh, we're on track, things are going in a good direction. Um, and then you go get COVID and then you're like, you feel the opposite. <laughs> and then, you know, there's so many, there's the competition, even just during the, the COVID period has increased massively. You know, because the, the market for people ordering coffee online and getting it sent to their house, became so big so many little coffee roasteries appeared and started up people buying coffee roasters in the kitchen and setting up shopify um so i don't feel like i don't feel like we're stagnant in terms of our growth but i still think like we're so far away from where we're trying to get to so i'm certainly not um i certainly don't think we've um we've got to any kind of point where i can see that kind of linear curve going in the direction we wanted to. Um, it just feels like a journey. It feels like quite an organic thing right now. And it's changing, but it's not necessarily improving. I can't remember what your question was. But, but so I think it was there, COVID was obviously panic stations when that happened. Yeah. Is there any other thing during the journey where you start to think, maybe this isn't going to get to where I want it to get to? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always like a lingering fear. And I think this is probably why it's good to have a co-owner, because you can share that fear um, of things are going to end tomorrow I think again that's accentuated by having a child it's like you know it's there's a risk associated with uh, owning your own business um, it's not a nine-to-five um, it's not secure um, but Harris and I talk a lot about um, the joys of owning your own business is that the, uh, the positives at the end of it could be so much bigger than having a nine-to-five it's like that's what gets me excited is that mm-hmm. we don't know. And I think it is a gamble, but I quite enjoy a gamble now and again. I'm like, you know, you don't know if this could become um, Starbucks or Blue Bottle. I mean, it 100% won't, but it's like, you know, it could. But you're <laughs> but it ma- could you're also. complete master of your own destiny in that journey. Yeah. You know, whether it does or not is down to you. Yeah, for sure. And that that's fun. Like, I, I, yeah, I find it really fun. There are times when you get to the end of a week and you're absolutely knackered and you're like, why am I doing this? But then you do start the next week and you're like, you can literally make an impact on on where this journey goes, which is really cool. Well, wasn't that interesting? I can't wait to hear what they say next. If you're looking for something for your eyes to do while you're listening to this fascinating interview, why not visit our website at wearestoryshop.com there you can do it all. Sign up for our newsletters filled with witty commentary, read all the lovely things our clients have to say about us, meet the team and find our social media channels so you can keep up to date with all the stories we're telling. That's wearestoryshop.com. Now back to the interview. You mentioned that you a failed musician you said do you think that's had any impact where there's almost a bit of you that's thinking well, I, don't, I don't want to fail again so that kind of <laughs> makes you throw yourself into it and why this has been yeah. such a success yeah probably I mean I think when I say <laughs> stuff like the, oh, brutal failed musician um, <laughs> you call you said <laughs> I would never have um, no yeah it's funny like um, I guess I guess the thing was there. I like I kind of threw the towel in to be like, this is going to be so. It's almost an insurmountable challenge. Um, f- f- so I, I, you know, I was like, I want I want something that I can make a more direct influence on because with music and with acting and these things, it's like you kind of need a break. And it's mm-hmm. you know, it, you might be plugging away for thirty years and it, nothing ever happens. Whilst I kind of thought. With a tangible brick and mortar business or brand, it's kind of like you can probably see your hard work reflecting in some improvement, and that happened quite 
quickly. We were lucky we came in at the right time with the first cafe. It was like the coffee scene was still at a kind of level in Scotland where, um, you know, we could be seen as a main player quite quickly. Um, maybe not a main player, but, you know, we were able to immerse ourselves in the community, which was small enough that, you know, we managed to put our, our hat in the ring. And I think now if we had started from this point, it'd be a lot harder Um there's so many good, great cafes. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting. We did the Disloyal 7, which I think Lisa Lawson did at some point in Glasgow previous to us. So we kind of borrowed the idea. Or it was in L- London as well. I don't know. Anyway, the concept was seven cafes in Edinburgh. Um, and you went to every one and you got a stamp and you got a free coffee, any of them. It wasn't a case of um, just one cafe having a loyalty card. And it was mm-hmm. the Disloyal card. Um, and the beauty of that was that we could almost cherry pick seven great cafes in Edinburgh whilst now it's almost doing a disservice to the 50 great cafes in Scotland it's like and I think that's the the funny place we're in um that it makes it hard to have that steep curve of growth um with just running cafes Mm -hmm. um because it's so so much of it's pretty saturated and do you think it's helped if almost Covid's accelerated the fact that a lot more people are drinking good coffee at home Definitely, yeah. I think in some ways it gives people um, a respect for how hard it is to make coffee for hundreds of people in a day in a cafe setting. Um, you know, coffee is a really volatile um, material to work with. It's it's an ingredient which can change day to day, um, and there's a lot of effort that goes in to make sure it tastes delicious every day. Um, so I think I think people have probably had a lot of fun with it over COVID. Some people will now be down so far that they love it and they want to continue making it at home because it's great fun and they've realised the joys of when it's, you know, um, nail on the head and it tastes brilliant. Others are probably like, I'm glad I never have to do that again. I just want to get an oatmeal flat white. So um, it's been interesting. We obviously saw a huge influx of orders when COVID hit um, and I think everyone knew that that wasn't going to last, but it was a really fun time to be selling coffee online because... Mm. You're just like, oh, it's like the Christmas rush for a year, which is, yeah, kind of fun. Not so fun when you're doing the majority of it yourself. Yeah, with, with I a, mean, you have to close your cafes <laughs> for a bit and things. And that's, that's no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what is the, what's the highest point? Um, the highest point? I don't, I feel honestly like we're, at, I feel like right now I'm at the highest point just having got to a point where I can start to see the vision. I think the highest point for me doesn't really feel numbers-focused, whilst ours might be different. I'm like, we're potentially at one of our lower points in one our original shop because um, no one goes into the centre of town anymore and um, works in offices and all these things. So, um, But I feel the fact that we're building something which I'm really... Um, proud of and really excited about it and I know that I'm sharing that with someone else and other people I feel like that is for me the highest point so that's actually quite nice it's <laughs> quite a nice answer I'm like this could be it this is it Michael Jackson Andy, <laughs> this is it it's so true because it's just um I talked to some of my other friends who are business owners like they always just say it's, it's one big game yeah you know and you get to 100%. play it all the time and you can yeah. do you can do anything you want and this freedom and it can yeah. blow up in your face and as long as you but that's that pressure is part of the the joy and i think that's the the joy as well of working as part of a team in this kind of lev- level of business because your voice actually can make an impact it's like someone's idea might convert to a thousand bags of coffee sold which is mm-hmm. which is quite cool and that's yeah that's again that's something i love to do is you know come up with ideas and then actually be able to action them within like a week or a, a day, you know, actually mm-hmm. just do it. I think uh, Harris and I talk about that again, um, about how um, we just get stuff done. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just, just let's just do it. You know? Yeah, to see that reality, like obviously the naughty and nice coffee, which was really, really successful during Christmas, to just be able to go, right, we're going to do that and that's going to happen. Yeah. And then you reap the rewards from that. 100%. It was, that's been some of our more successful releases. There have been ones where we just reacted to, um, like, lockdown. We did a, a cabin fever coffee of a guy behind a jail cell. And then we did a, a Freedom, what was it called, Freedom? 
escape coffee, which is when um when the lockdown was lifted, or I can't remember. But yeah, those have been some of the fun ones. And I think we, you know, you can't really do that if you're Starbucks because you know you need to go through meetings with all these different execs and directors to try and get. A pro- I would imagine I'm saying that as if I used to be a director of Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that reactionary stuff that you can just do being an owner, and it is a game. It's fun. And how do you think you'll keep that? Obviously, the ambition is to get bigger, to grow, to grow the subscription side of the business and everything else. How do you think you'll keep that responsiveness while we are growing? And oh, I don't know. That's a good point. Maybe I'll sell, but once that fades <laughs> into, the, into the distance, um, I don't know. I think um, this is the first time this past month that I've started to actually think, okay, if I want to get to X, how do I do it and what do I need to be doing? Um, and I, to this point, have never had a job title, really. Um, it's only been when my role has kind of been forced to split, you know, that we've been like, oh, here are the tasks that Harris does, and that means he is this title, I guess, um, which I couldn't even really tell you right now because I don't really fully know. <laughs> but um, And that's kind of meant that, oh, well, so what, are, what am I going to do? Um, so, yeah, it's quite funny. I don't know. Um, so what's that? What's that day? T- talk me through a kind of typical day. So a typical day for me, and um, interestingly, interestingly, <laughs> you've just uh, Henry's just put me in for that Scotsman article where I had to do a typical day. Um, so a typical day for me um, is not. Well, I mean, there isn't really a typical day, as you know. It's quite challenging. But let's go with an ideal day. It would be um, Jamie wakes up. Uh, Seven o'clock, let's say, which would be very nice. I mean, it's between five and seven. Uh, more often, it's a lot earlier. But um, I'm talking ideal day here, okay. so we'll okay. go with that. Um, so get him sorted, get him off to nursery eight, and then I can kind of begin. So I will, on a great day, have time um, to go to each of the shops and then head to the grocery for nine check in with those guys and kind of make sure they've got everything they need. So my day kind of starts as a bit of almost pastoral care, like is everything working, you know, do I need to do anything? Um, from that point on, honestly, it can go anywhere. It can be a case of needing to dash to home base to buy light bulbs, or it can be jumping on a call with someone about a magazine interview, or it can be um, doing QC or doing HR, just pieces. Um Typical day for me, like just I forget to have lunch and then I try and get home from my curfew at six, feeling really <laughs> hangry, and then put Jamie to bed and then literally open the first bottle of wine I see and um, see how many glasses I can drink before I go to bed at like So nine. you manage to switch off at night, usually, kind of typically once you get home, yeah, able to separate it? Yeah, again, because um, since having a son, I think that's helped a lot. Um, ordinarily, I wouldn't, but. Recently, I've just been so tired. <laughs> I just like I'm like I'm not going to be able to operate the next day if I work till eleven tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from time to time I will work late um, when I get home. Um, I do. I do, I'm trying to. You know, I've been doing this for seven years now, which is not that long. But I'm trying to get better at setting boundaries for myself because mm-hmm. um, I just think if I work until midnight, sending emails next day, I just won't perform. Um, and yeah I, th- I kind of think I'm starting to learn that process of like I'm reading the book at the moment which is I think is it called 40,000 Weeks great book yeah so I've only just, Berkman. Yeah, so I'm like I'm only through like the prologue or whatever but already I'm like oh god your life is so short like, I don't really want to be working all day then going home and working all night uh-huh. not seeing my wife briefly seeing my son it's like, so I'm starting to reevaluate. like how do I you know, juggle everything. And so my wife's having another baby and actually, uh, we are having a baby. What do people say these days? We are having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so she is technically having the baby, but I will be there um, in July. So I'm like, I just need to get better at setting boundaries and structuring, you know, when am I going to get stuff done? And, mm-hmm. um, Harris, again, has helped me with that. So. Yeah, it's hard because it does it take, that does take the kind of helicopter view, which is very, very difficult to do when you're in the weeds of it and mm-hmm. you're so busy. And I imagine before Harris came on, you were just constantly in the weeds and yeah. unable to take a lot of that helicopter yeah. view. And I've I've listened to your other podcasts and I get the impression that the people you've interviewed are 
like very strict on like the structure and you know I can't remember the guy's name but who has one wardrobe one thing in his wardrobe Danny. and I'm just like that is awesome I don't know how people do that that's like I would love to be that person I'm just so far the opposite mm-hmm. I'm I'm like I've got 1500 pieces in my wardrobe that are unfolded and like I just my brain is very cluttered and that is a big thing I need to sort this year um uh, yeah, it's uh, it's quite funny, but I think that's as a result of trying to put out fires and chasing my tail for seven years. I've just kind yeah. of got myself into a spiral where I don't have time to do anything. And you know, coming in for a meeting uh, with Story Shop today, it's like, oh, did you get that email? Like, yeah, I read it, but completely forgot to reply to it. That's a, an inner view into my head. Um, and these are things that I am trying to get better at. And I think this year is a, t- a bit of a turning point for that already. I guess when I talk about being at the, you know, this is the pinnacle. It's like probably because I'm starting to see that actually I can probably get my life back on track as a result of getting a co-owner, which is exciting. Because you soon, I think the big wake up for me is when I started, it's it, you know not a badge of honour, but you do sit there and you think, I can just work constantly because there's always something to do and I'm just going to mm-hmm. keep going. And then you realise there's, you know, there's an expiration date in that because yeah. if you just keep going like that, it's diminishing returns. And you know I quickly started to see that. Sure. And you think about if you go in and you have a regular um you know eight hour day that's probably very not typical of the first seven years how much you're able to actually accomplish and be quite clear during sure. that time sure i like part of all of this chasing your tail and fighting fires i think is a direct result of me always wanting to make the business bigger than it is mm-hmm. and i remember it was like three years ago i had an employee who said to me do you think you'll ever just be happy <laughs> And I was like, probably not. And I think that is, I don't know if I see that as a flaw or a positive. Um, I've always got that fire of like wanting things to be better than they, they were the day before or the week before. Um, and I don't always achieve that. And that's probably the days where I feel a bit like, oh, frustration. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's sort of this thing I've got inherent in me that, um, and I think again, that's kind of going back to the band thing. It's like, I always want to be getting a bigger gig and a, putting out a better song and you know it's all this kind of stuff and I don't think I will ever be happy with where the business is at I think there'll always be a next a next well, as soon as you are that's when things slip probably because yeah. you need to always think there's some that, yeah. I mean again back to it being a game that's the joy of it isn't it that you can yeah. always make it a bit better and you know there's part of, I bet when you started you thought if I had two coffee shops that are two of the most popular coffee shops in Edinburgh that people absolutely love and people go to every day and it's a part of their routine and, you know, raved about popular on social media. You thought, right, I've made it kind of thing, but... That's, that's very kind of you to say all that. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you, you know, um, if you looked at it, it's, it's, again, sometimes you lose sight of that where... Yeah. But, of course, you can always make every single thing better, but you must, back then, back when you started, if you thought you got to where you were in year four... Mm-hmm. You would have 100% viewed that as complete success. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, yeah, so I, I always view our business in two-year chunks. So the first two years we started the first shop, second two years we started the second shop, um, third uh, two years we got the roaster and started, whole, well, we got a previous, but we started wholesale. Um, and so we're into the fourth <laughs> two years and we've taken on a co-owner and I see that as being one of the big changers and it's like that's almost as pivotal as you know um opening a shop um and i find that i yeah i don't um i don't know what my expectations ever are for those two years but because again i just haven't written strategy for those things but yeah i think i I probably where we're at now i'm very proud of and i think you know there's been a lot of hard work from a lot of people that have helped get to this point um but I think just because I'm always thinking, oh, there has to be something big in each two years, I'm like thinking about where's it going to go next and what, what we're going to do. Um, it's I don't think it, it's it's not a flaw, but it probably does get me a little bit OCD on it. <laughs> probably sometimes just need to sit back and enjoy the fact that you know we've done some good things, I suppose. Um, but I'm excited for for what we can do. So okay, right. So a new segment on the show. Um, I'm going to ask you what your autobiography would be called, who would play you in a film, and the lead song in the soundtrack of that film. So, 
Starting with your autobiography. I straight away know the second because I've been told I look like this person. Okay. Oh, wait till we get there. Okay. Don't get too excited. Um, so the autobiography. John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> slightly less refined. Um, autobiography. Um, so my wife always says that I say this more often than I realise, which is I'm trying. Like, I'm trying hard. I'm trying my best. So it'd probably be Robbie Lambie, I'm trying. Um, yeah, it's not very inspirational. But the second, the actor would be Ricky Gervais. Probably. I don't think you look like <laughs> Ricky Gervais. That's very. I know you always like to be self-deprecating. I like but him. That's though. maybe a bit. I like him as well. I a think, bit too much. I think uh, we share some, um, like body shape and also probably humour. Oh, humour. <laughs> oh, so funny. But more like just you know he's like quite sarcastic and I kind of. Um, so that and the other one was the soundtrack um, be the first single I ever bought which was Good Enough by Dodgy is that what it's called? pretty sure it's Good, good enough, enough for by you. Dodgy Good oh, Enough for You it's Good, good enough, enough for Me and I'm like that's for, again maybe a little bit self-deprecating but I'm like that's, good that's enough. one for the good enough. for us geriatric millennials that could be a there. good catchphrase for Karen Gorm yep. Good Enough Good Enough there Hashtag we. good enough. Good enough. Um, <laughs> How's it <I> taste? <laughs> good, good enough. enough. And um, back to Ricky Gervais. <laughs> sap. And one thing we've asked as well is to give a shout out to another business that you love. Okay, cool. Um, so I had to think about this one because I was hoping you'd ask me this. <laughs> I heard it on on the other podcast. Um, so I went with a Glaswegian business because mm. I thought while while I'm in, uh, in Rome, while I'm in Rome, um, CAF actually, which you mentioned earlier, um, nice. because I've I've been quite inspired recently by their growth through through COVID and their website, <laughs> which I was on the other day. I was like, this is so good. Um, yeah, I think they're doing a great job. But know Leo relatively well. Um, and yeah, I think they're doing a lot of good stuff. And FYI, we are not their coffee supplier, so this isn't a bias. I'm not trying to get cred here, um, but I think they're great. Beautiful branding as well. So and right next to Story Shop's new office, so is we it? Can, uh, okay. can get a little bit of calf baking before. So now it looks like I've been told to say calf, so you can get some free cookies. I don't think we're getting free cookies for that. For At that. least a loaf of bread. Come on. Yeah, I'll be served a loaf. Come on, Leo. Let's <laughs> get your finger out. Let's go. Um, but yeah, no, I think calf are great. And I think, um, yeah, it's so like interesting to have seen them open in Heinlein Road, is it? And then, was it? yeah, I think so. And then they had like uh, four tables that they just, you could never get table mm-hmm. it was ridiculous and now they've gone to the takeaway i think and now it's evolved into the merch and the goods and that's something that we love doing is like tangible products i think is the coolest thing and that was you know one of the most satisfying things ever for us was getting to the point of having bags of coffee because having a tangible product is something so nice mm-hmm. so i saw that they had like um work shirts or like um work coats just like so cool seeing like other coffee brands in Scotland doing cool stuff like that. I think everything fits with their brand that they do, and that's mm. so important. And that sometimes, uh, I think, I think when brands start to lose it, when they try and do things that don't quite fit, and yeah. it just feel it starts. To, but everything with them just feels like it's the perfect fit, and it's so kind of curated. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like my mind's so all over the place, and I was responsible for actioning merch. So I went off on massive tangents. We used to have a T-shirt that was "Make Espresso Great Again," like right when Trump was coming through, and I think some people were offended by it. Um, but yeah, it's quite funny. <laughs> we also had one which was BT uh, BTCH BRW, like Batch Brew. Well, at least people thought it was like Bitch Brew, um, and so it was like, <sighs> but yeah, I'd say that kind of like randomness fits with your brand though yeah you know and yeah. it does like fit and the fact you'll try things and the fact you'll go out there and you know every i think a, sp- a kind of beauty for a lot of brands is when it kind of fits the personality of the owner and you can see yeah. that shine through every single decision i think doing stuff like that that's off the cuff that's as uh, part of kind of what's allowed the brand to grow yeah for sure i've always been like amazed that people buy merch i mean like i've seen our t-shirts you know Driving down Leith Walk and you'll see someone wearing a jumper or something. You're like, I know people have bought them, but like, you when wait. you see people wearing them, you're like, this is 
bonkers. Like, what? It's just strange, but it's awesome. Like, it's really cool. Um, yeah, you do see them around. It's pretty pretty weird. And because we've only ever done single prints of everything we've done, as in not one iteration, but, you know, we've had 50 printed, and then when they're sold, we move on to something different. Um, so you can kind of know, oh, that person's been following us since 2015, because <laughs> that was only available then, and it's sold out. So it's kind of cool. NFT streetwear, basically. <laughs> But also keep on getting told that NFTs are digital. <laughs> Not, so yeah, Harris has been educating me on that. That could be the big, the big move for yeah. the next two years. You could probably now put hashtag NFT on this podcast <laughs> and get a lot more people listening to it. We'll do that. No, that there's not a lot of people listening. Uh, there's tons of people listening. Too Ton, many. Tons of. If anything. T- tens of. Tens of tens, tens of, of people. people. <laughs> I'm sure. I remember doing a podcast. A lot of work. It is. Uh, but that's why you get a great producer like Nathan. I know. To, uh, to do a lot more of it because yeah. it would sound a lot better than it would otherwise. One day so. you could get Nathan on, <laughs> One on the day. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sorry, I just put you in it there. You're going to have to <laughs> now. <laughs> everyone will be looking forward to that now. <laughs> Definitely. Right, well, Robbie. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Can I just say it's been a pleasure. I know that I basically invited myself on it, but uh, it's been yeah, it's been something I've been uh, looking forward are, to. You are on my list. Don't you worry. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. If you know a purpose-driven entrepreneur with a story worth telling who would make for a great guest on the Story Shop podcast, send us a message on social media. We're at We Are Story Shop on all channels.